Welcome to the Between Data and Risk podcast. Today, we'll be talking about telecommunication infrastructure, which all modern businesses rely on, but most people rarely think about. To demystify this ubiquitous yet so important resource, we've invited Mike Gavin, former senior director who worked for such companies as Samsung and Verizon. Stay tuned. If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hi, I'm your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak, and with me is my co-host, Artur Guja, Cognition Shared Solutions Chief Risk and Strategy Officer. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Between Data and Risk. Today, we'll be talking about building the telecoms infrastructure of tomorrow to support the business solutions that will inevitably rely on it. We are excited to have with us our guest, Mike Gavin, an expert with over 30 decades of 30 decades, no, 30 years of experience in sales and operations for Verizon and Samsung. Hello, Mike. Marion, Arthur, it's great to be with you guys today. Uh, 30 decades, I don't know. I, I'd probably I, I'd probably be a vampire if that was the case. But um, <laughs> but excited to be here with three decades. Uh, so it's you know really you've seen the world change. Uh, working with with Verizon and working with uh, with with Samsung, uh, I would like to start with maybe like how do you see the difference between like three decades ago and now, and how do you see the uh, the rate of change? I would say, uh, is it is is it going as fast? Because you know recently we've been all told like you know five G is like the end of the line. It's like end of physics in early. Yeah. 20th century before somebody came up with something completely different you know 30 decades of experience how do you to put it in perspective when i started with what was bell atlantic mobile system um, mm -hmm. 30 years ago uh, this march actually this march 1st i uh i started with an organization that had roughly 3,000 employees in total and we had less than a million customers so put that in perspective today to where we've ended up and how many different products, services, and how it's become the center of everyone's lives, whether you like that or not, right? Because there's people on both sides of the equation for that. The reality is throughout that 30 years, there's been ebb and flow, right? So there's been these dramatic uh, inclines where we've climbed and we've accomplished great Deal and, and then it's flattened out. You know, you think about 4G. We had 4G for a fairly long time without much transformation going on. And now all of a sudden we're at this cusp of 5G. And I say it that way because some people, you know, there's a lot of marketing that goes around 5G, let's face facts, mm -hmm. from, from mm -hmm. all the providers around the globe. The reality is there's different variations of 5G that bring different levels of capability. But regardless of what variation you're discussing, the reality is, is that none of it is where it needs to be in order to really leap us into that next generation performance and bring in those apps and solutions 
they're going to once again change lives, much like the smartphone, much like the evolution from 3G to 4G, or when you think about 1G to 3G. You know, those leaps, we're not quite there yet with 5G. Great deal of promise, great deal of opportunity ahead, and all the carriers, providers, infrastructure uh, developers, they're all waiting with bated breath for that moment that we make that leap. So, I, you know, some, I'm going to say something that really dates me. I, when I was uh, at uni, we were still calculating kind of the frequencies on copper wires and 56K modems and that, that kind of thing. And uh, at that time, when we kind of progressed to ADSL and, and uh, you know, the, the first generation of mobile phones, I had the impression that the technology was pushing the solutions. Uh, so every time there was a, a leap, yeah. People were saying, okay, now we can do this new thing or we can do this new thing. But with 5G, I've, I, get, I get a slightly different sense that the solutions are pulling the technology. People yeah. are now so hungry for bandwidth that we've got all these solutions, you know, metaverse. We had a, a, a few episodes on, on metaverse and people just say, we need these, this bandwidth, but it's just not there. Yeah. And it's, it's this hunger that's, that's created, right? Well, I think I, I think you're you're spot on, Archer. Uh, the reality is, um, sometimes the developers are are dragging the consumer and the businesses, and other times the push is the other way around. I I think that the the juncture that we're at right now is that we do have a mix. We have certain solutions that people crave and need, and I think that desire for the 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 greatest speed the greatest degree of bandwidth, right? That stability of performance uh, is certainly great, regardless of whether you're looking from a business standpoint or a consumer standpoint, it doesn't matter. I believe that you find that that desire is there. I think when you get into the weeds of some of the solutions that are out there, you think about um, you know, uh, robotics, um, being able to have a dynamic manufacturing floor that you can change on the fly and not worry about any wires. Think about the beauty of that, and that exists today, right? But the idea of that operating on 5G consistently, having the level of SLAs that you need in order to feel comfortable that that performance is guaranteed without issue. You think about, you know, is anyone excited about um, remote surgery via, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, listen, I think it will be amazing when it comes about, but I am not signing up to be the first, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not ready for that, but that's me. I'm more cautious, right? Um, so the, the reality is, is you have things at both ends of the spectrum, you know, autonomous controls, whether it's machinery or vehicles, and the need to be able to have that constant uh, compute and storage from a mobile edge compute solution. Um, today, there was an announcement by T-Mobile a partnership with AWS. Now, roughly, I think almost two years ago, Verizon announced a similar partnership. Um, we're seeing that crop up where carriers are now partnering with cloud solution providers to be able to bring compute and storage closest to application. That is critical. None of this can really happen without that taking place because that latency and the performance that exists within 5G is, is really, you know, it's less it's about the speed. Yes, it's about the, you know, the total degree of bandwidth that can be handled. But 
if you don't have the low level of latency necessary for these applications, none of it will work right at the end of the day. And most of these applications are very, very much hinging on the latency requirement. And, you know, you talk about, um, you know, 5G and, and, you know, this is, it's almost the holy grail of sort, right? And certainly from a performance standpoint, that's the case where we're at today. But obviously 6G is out there, right? Not out there in the, in the environment, but from a lab initial uh, spec and ideation, it's certainly there. You know, so we're always looking beyond. But who's driving? Is that the user or is that the developer? And I would argue in many cases it's it's being driven by obviously the developers, right? Give give us more. Keep giving more. I uh I wanted to ask you. Uh I know that in in the States for a long time, pagers were mm, much more popular with mobile phones. So we have this, I would say, step, which is mm, if you start early enough, you will be stuck with the, with the first version. Uh, I know that uh, mm, maybe if you, if you say that 5G is still not that, uh, does jumping on 5G, will, will it hamper 6G when it comes because people will want to get ROI on, on all the 5G investment. Yeah. Uh, so how do you see the situation evolving? You know, yeah. I'm not talking only about the States. I'm just, you know. Yeah, in general. Pages, right, sure. But in, in, in general, like in heavily investing in, 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 in some technology slows down the, if the 5, 6G will oh, just absolutely. pop up. Like, you know, tomorrow, yeah. a lot of companies would say, mm, how about we make our money on 5G? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we saw it with 4G. So, you, you know, Marion, you are incredibly on the mark when you when you talk about the investment concerns. The reality is um, the market, so the business customer that drives the solutions, uh, they're, they're not going to subscribe to 6G um, and, until that point that they believe it's financially viable. But when you look at the infrastructure providers and the, and the carriers in, in the marketplace, they're certainly going to push that because there's always that need to have the next greatest thing to differentiate between each other, to be able to drive new revenue streams. And certainly 6G is not coming tomorrow. Let's face it. We all know that. Um, but, um, you know, the promise of 6G brings you into the realm of integrating networks into AI and being able to have a level of analysis and, and um, uh, performance that we wouldn't see today. Now, also, there's, there's great strides um, stimulated on, um, you know, certainly uh, performance from a speed standpoint, but back to latency. The latency gains projected on, on 6G are quite incredible. We'll see you know, when that, when that time is real. But for 5G today, we did see um, between 3G to 4G and now to 5G concerns, especially in the IoT space, because mm -hmm. the cost of modules uh, is incredibly relevant to the IoT space in that they can, they can only upgrade the performance and capabilities of their devices if they can afford to put 
that new module in there. And the margins on some of these applications, uh, solutions, I mean, there's not a lot of room in many cases. And obviously that varies. There are some more robust than others. But when you look at the bulk of them, there's, there's really not that room to make that upgrade, to make that truck roll, to switch out a modem until it, it absolutely makes sense to do it. Right. And that's and that's and that has been that struggle. We've we've seen that with the shutdown of 3G to move all into 4G in the IoT space. So that has hindered that. And there's you know, at the risk of getting slightly too technical, uh, there is also uh, the, the energy requirements. Right. Which is why most IoT, if, if it's on Wi-Fi, it's still on the, the, the slower version of Wi-Fi. Uh, because the, their energy requirements are higher. So there, there are all those concerns. But I, I wanted to touch on something you said about latency, because I think we need to differentiate between businesses that require or, or um, implementations that require that specific speed and uh, uh, kind of connectivity across the globe. Like you mentioned, uh, remote surgery, right? You've got one surgeon, you've got one patient, and they need to be connected through all the... Uh, uh, through all the links, but uh, there are others uh, like you mentioned, cloud providers, where there the technology exists to replicate the service uh, in many locations in the world, so that the user reaches the the closest, right? Yes. So I mean, it was ten, ten years ago; it was com completely incomprehensible. Nowadays, you know, even last week we were setting up a server where we chose several different locations to have it. And it cost us really peanuts yeah. to, to, to have it. So it was, uh, nowadays it's, it's kind of common practice. So do you think, I'm, I'm very interested in this partnership uh, between, between uh, network carriers and, and uh, providers. Aren't they a bit uh, competing? Uh, I'm, I'm, isn't there a bit of conflict interest? Be uh, because they, uh, ultimately the carriers want to provide the network, the, Cloud providers want to provide services across the globe, and that's there. How do they? What? How do they justify this connection? Yeah, yeah. So that's the frenemy environment, right? So yes, you know, we we need to work together. We understand we 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 need that. We we sort of want it. Sometimes maybe we want it because we know we have to do it, um, not because we really want to. Uh, the reality is either one of them can perform the full service, right, uh, if they chose to. Uh, but that takes investment, right? So the, the idea of a hyperscaler um, possibly getting into the, you know, a wireless or a network infrastructure space, I mean, certainly it's in the realm of possibility. Whether that would ever happen, um, you know, it, it's, it's unclear. But the reality is there's a need for each other for these solutions to be effective, to be able to operate in the degree that they need to, whether in a domestic area or around the globe, um, those partnerships are necessary. They're, they're, uh, they, it, it, none of this can happen without them. And, and when I say none of this, these are the more complex solutions. You know, these are the autonomous, the remote control of machinery, the you know, remote surgeries, and, uh, various different uh, immersive experiences uh, that might exist on the consumer side, whether gaming oriented or uh, in venue solutions during games and events or um, various, you know, 
different elements of what might be the metaverse, right? Um, you know, you're going to require um, obviously a wireless connectivity. You're going to need extensive backhaul on fiber throughout to feed that network, and you're going to need to put, um, you know, possibly both compute and storage uh, closer to the user, right? So they're mm -hmm. necessary uh, without question, but it is a frenemy environment that exists. So there's there's friction there, whether anybody really wants to admit it. I hope so that answers your question. <laughs> it, it answers perfectly, and it actually links very nicely to the to the kind of topic which which is very close to to the core of our podcast, which is processes. Yeah. Because now yeah. you you're building this this layer infrastructure of you've you've got carrier, you've got the the service provider, you've got the uh, in between you've got the cloud kind of infrastructure yes. provider, you've got the user. So we're building the traditional kind of layers of abstraction, and they have to work together. So you've got diverse technologies, diverse partners, and uh, I understand one of your kind of roles was to to make this basically work together yeah. and operate seamlessly. So how what what's what what state are we in currently in the in this this market and how do you actually make them operate together towards a, a servicing the user ultimately? Yeah. So you know we're certainly in the earlier stages of this because from a, an operating model perspective, these partnerships and as I mentioned, T Mobile made an announcement today. Uh, the reality is they're still at the early stages of developing these partnerships, even though Verizon might be a bit further along with those partnerships, the fruit of that labor is still early on. So the development of how they will work together and then the installation of those solutions into the network and actually you know, having them exist on, on any sort of wide scale, very much in the early stages. And it, it, you know, there's a great deal of politics that exists within this environment. Once again, it's one of those things that we won't talk a lot about oftentimes because um, we just want it to work and we just expect it to work. But what goes behind the scenes in order to establish the agreements and the relationships between all these entities to ensure that the level of risk from each one of their perspectives is minimized and reduced, it's not eliminated, right? There's always that risk, right? And some of that comes back to that frenemy comment that I made. So there's always a little apprehension as much as there might be documents that outline um, what each one will bring to the table, what they will live up to from an SLA perspective, performance perspective, um, and uh, what, you know, what they'll add into that solution. Now, there's one group that you didn't mention, which I think is very key, especially when you talk, to, talk about mobile edge compute. And that's the real estate uh, holders associated with the cell towers and the base station. So if you think about all the thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands around the globe um, of cell towers and their associated base stations, whether a macro tower or whether uh, a small cell on a street light, you know, whatever that may be, you know, so that's not the carrier at the end of the day. And that's not AWS, you know, in the cloud providers. Um, and, and that's certainly not the infrastructure providers, right? That's a separate entity in the real estate market that's associated. And you've got environments where carriers are stacked on these, um, on these towers 
or light poles in some cases, mostly the towers. Um, and those real estate companies, well, they have very valuable real estate, especially when you think about the mobile edge compute environment. What storage or real estate facility is closest to everyone as we sit here today? Well, it's a cell tower. You know, in the back in the day, it would have been a central office and that wouldn't have been that close, but it might have been nearby. But in those cell towers, there's each base station. And those base stations, they've, they've got room. There is room in those base stations. It is, you said something very interesting. I haven't, I've never thought about it this way because uh, I, I come from a financial background and uh, Michael Lewis, the famous author, he wrote the, the book Flash Boys uh, specifically about um, uh, banks, firms, trading firms, going to uh, financial exchanges and placing their computers, those kind of a few meters of the cable closer to the exchange so they could yeah. trade faster. Now yeah. you're saying this is exactly happening in the, in the mobile industry. Yeah. I've, I've never thought about, about this. There, there's a move, there's a, there, and I won't say what, what platform has it, um, but there's a, there's a platform with a, a, a true story about just that, about, um, someone that moved uh, closer and, and came up with a creative way to have a direct connectivity into the trading floor um, yeah. faster than anyone else. You may be familiar with that story. Um, yeah. Yes, this is a similar scenario in a way, um, I would say on a, a very much a hyper-scaled scenario because you're talking about, think of the cell towers as all endpoints, right? Um, and every one of those endpoints has a box at the bottom. And that box, mm -hmm. as of today, isn't filled. I mean, it has, obviously, it has equipment, it has servers in it to be able to run the wireless networks. But the reality is, um, you know, that's, that's beachfront property in a, real, in a way when you talk about mobile edge compute. You think about the ability to get close to users. You know, you think about that broad, wide, um, extensive network that exists. Um, of various different forms of, of cell sites. I, I'm curious about something that you said earlier. Uh, yeah. you, it's a, a bit, bit different topic. You mentioned the, the, the backhaul on, on, on the fiber. Do you think we will be, let's say, connected to the fiber? Like, is fiber to stay? Uh, well, I, I'm not aware of anything that will replace it yet, right? And we know it, while it doesn't operate at the speed of light exactly, but it, it's gotten as close enough. to the speed of light as can, right? Uh, as humanly can today. Um, and when you think about the ability to, the, the size of, of those cables today and how much data can transfer on those, I mean, it's quite remarkable. Um, the level of builds going on around the US right now by a variety of different carriers and and suppliers of dark fiber you know it's it's pretty extensive i mean i at one point and i i can't say i don't know exactly where it's at today but at one point it was pushing the limits of the of the manufacturers of fiber i mean it was it was pushing the limits of, of the demand for fiber um you know to re to replace existing copper still 
with different parts of the country. Obviously, copper still uh, across large swaths of, of areas, um, not as much in, in certain areas, but the reality is that's an extensive project. I, I moved from UK almost a year ago, 1st of March. And when I was moving out and I lived like 15 miles from London and I had a copper wire. Yeah. Yeah, well, my, my, I still live in UK and UK is suffering exactly from the lag that, that Marianne mentioned in the, in the beginning, because uh, UK invested heavily in broadband at the beginning. But now the broadband, everyone has broadband. It's, it's very prevalent, but it's the old, they call it high speed broadband, but it's like five megabits, right? Nothing by today's standards. And my road is going to be literally closed for the next two weeks because they're digging up yeah. the, the copper wire to replace it with fiber. Uh, but, uh, you know, now thinking about this, uh, going from uh, the, the, the you've, you've seen all those quantum leaps in technology. And obviously they all start as a proof of concept in the lab somewhere, some bright spark comes up with a better, you know, way of sending the signal. And then it goes to wide scale adoption through various stages and users rarely see this, this process, yeah. but uh, I think, you know, we've, we've spoken about all the different, different forces that, that kind of make it either, either push it or they pull it. But how, how, do, how do you see this process actually happening? What, what will the next big technology of tomorrow, what will it have to go through, uh, assuming that it's on, on a lab bench somewhere today? Yeah. Um, well, obviously that, you know, through the ideation that exists within all of these infrastructure providers, partnering with developers to understand, you know, can, can this be profitable at the end of the day, right? There's that level of work that goes on. Various different uh, organizations have their locations around the globe where ideation takes place uh, with, develop, with the developer environment. Um, you know, from a standards perspective, you know, we can look back at, at the various back and forth that went on for 5G for some time. And I don't remember the, the entire timeline that was associated with that. But landing on an agreed to 5G standard, and I'm not sure that there was, you know, ultimately, I think there may be still some fractions of that that exist, particularly from a marketing standpoint, for sure. Um, and the reality is, is that that debate can go on for a long time until people just stop bothering with it, right? Um, I, I think, you know, when we talked about 5G before, I think we're a long ways away from a, a movement um, to, to from 5 to 6G. Um, and, you know, is that a decade? You know, could that, could that be longer than that? Uh, you know, it's, it's my perspective that, you know, if, if we are to go to that next evolution from five to six, I think it's got to be a time when uh, 4G is kind of at its end, so to speak, in, in all likelihood, because there's heavy investment in 4G across the IoT. And I think that makes it difficult for 6G to come about because, you know, you've got everybody's got to move along. Networks cannot maintain too many different um, networks within them, right? Um, so you know, the idea of, you know, it is not an ideal scenario to oper operate 3G, 4G, 4G and 5G, 5G at the same time. And that's gone on. 
Um, and, and that is incredibly inefficient. It's costly to the carriers. Um, and, you know, it's not the ideal situation you want to be in. So for that reason, you know, I think you're, you're more than a decade away from another evolution because um, 4G will need to be in place for at least the next 10 years. For sure, because the level of commitment necessary back to the IoT space that that network will be maintained is key, and that's a fact. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, the evolution of of PC processors, and uh, uh, I remember you know we went through from eighty eighty six to eighty to two eighty six three eighty six, but when we were already at Pentium and the whole world was, was on Pentium, 8086 was still being produced. All the other ones between were stopped being produced, yeah. but 8086 was used by NASA and that was still still being produced. So is it possible that we will have 4G for quite a while longer, while 5G is switched off in favor of 6 and 7G, but 4G specifically as a, as a legacy for IoT because of the lower energy requirements and the, the ease of use of it? I mean, I, I certainly see where you're coming from. I think the challenge is migrating isn't easy. So um, carriers, uh, infrastructure providers to liken to the to, uh, processor uh, orientation, listen, manufacturers, I'll make whatever they, whatever you ask them to at the end of the day when pushed. I mean, certain things they may not want to, right? If it requires retooling a manufacturing line unnecessarily or inconveniently. But the reality is, um, if you'll pay for it, they'll produce it, right? At the end of the day. Now, from a service provider standpoint, the reality is you have a volume of users and they have a device today. Migrating them to a device with that new chipset in it, that is, it's hard. It's hard and it really depends, you know, switching out a smartphone can happen um, um, organically, right, over time, right? I mean, people, we've gotten into this phase where you lease devices and and it's, uh, you're just always paying a fee for a device. So what's the difference? I get a new device. So switching out every year, every two years, it's become fairly easy for people to do that. But when you get away from the smartphone environment, it's not so easy. So in those instances where uh, maybe an IoT solution is on 5G or possibly, uh, you know, fixed wireless access, right? If you think about FWA, um, you know, I, I'm not, I just paid to light up my whole industrial facility with 5G. I need to make sure that investment covers itself. So the idea of going to 6G because, you know, are you shutting off 5G, which is in and of itself, the idea of just shutting something off, people get anxiety and uh, it becomes very difficult to make that cut and that move. And I'll point to 3G for that. You know, that that has been a painful process for the carriers. I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm curious because now we touched on 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 the risks of, let's say, uh, getting attached to, to the technology and the risk that somebody will shut it off. Uh, you mentioned that when you get this network of providers, um, real estate owners, uh, cloud computing providers, they weigh their risks. Uh, are you at liberty to say or, or what are the risks, main risks for each of these categories? You know, 
our podcast is called Between Data and Risk, and we are really interested in, in, yeah. in, in what are the actual risks in you know for different businesses. Yeah. You know, I, I can't say that I know necessarily what the risk is for a cloud provider or the in the real estate space. Mm -hmm. I you know, I would think in the real estate space, I think the the risk is probably minimal. You know, they've they're just maintaining they're maintaining a property. Uh, they're maintaining a network, um, you know, changes in technology, I don't think really present a, a lot of significant risk. And maybe I just don't know what that is. From from a infrastructure provider perspective, they obviously always need to be on the cutting edge. So I'd say their risk is, you know, being asked for something they can't provide at the end of the day. So they've got to be ready for when that, you know, if we take the 6G um, uh, scenario, They've got to be ready for when that market demands it, right? Mm -hmm. So they need to invest in R&D today and mm -hmm. scope out what it's capable of, what really can be done, right? They, they'll figure out in the lab, but then in the real environment, what's truly possible, and then establishing those standards across the partnerships that exist. Um, they've got to do all that work. You know, they have to do it now, and their risk of, there's risk of not doing it because you don't want your competitor to be further along than you are. And there are competitors, there's enough of them, um, you know, in this environment that it, it poses a challenge, right? Um, from a carrier perspective, I, I think, you know, it, it's a similar scenario to the infrastructure. You know, there's that competitive environment. So that risk is being built, beat out by your competitor. Some of that is often mitigated through marketing at the consumer level and, and even at the business level. But, um, you know, sometimes the business customer is a bit more savvy uh, and, and, and they, you know, they want to know what it's really capable of mm -hmm. and they want to ensure that it's going to live up to their requirements. And I think about um, carriers and, and uh, you know, everyone plays in this space as the carrier infrastructure provider, ultimately in a mobile edge compute environment, it's, it's a cloud provider, um, you know, being able to provide network slicing, being able to provide a solution that meets the specific needs of your application, nothing more, nothing less, and only paying for that portion. Not overpaying, obviously not underpaying, but not overpaying for what you need to be able to uh, adequately run your application, your solution for your clients. Um, you know, that's, I mean, if you can't do that, then ultimately, you know, many of these solutions can't truly come to life. So, you know, everyone's at a different point of being able to provide that capability, right? So that's that competitive environment. I think there's an added challenge that is probably more on the side of the carriers versus the, the cloud providers. And that is the competitive or, or excuse me, the frenemy competitive element that exists between them, right? So that apprehension of, uh, I'm gonna partner with you. Um, you're gonna know who my clients are. Uh, I'm gonna know the clients that you're working with, at least when I come into the picture. And we're gonna have a, a relationship with that, that client side by side. Um, the fear or concern of could that cloud provider at some point decide, you know what? I'd like to have a network of my own. Or maybe I'd like to be 
and MV and up. And I'll I'll flip a switch and I'm instantly an MV and up. And you know, the implications of that, I think that's a you know, that's a concern, right? So that's now a new competitor, right? So the risk is you you partner, right? And then your partner becomes your competitor. Um, it may not happen, but it could happen. That's the challenge. That's the risk. Sorry, you mentioned a, a term which uh, is we're not quite familiar with, NVNO? Uh, mobile, net, uh, mobile Virtual Network Operator. Ah, I see. MVNO. Okay. Oh, did I, uh, did I miss say it? I might have said it. Right. Uh, uh, no, that's 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 uh, that clarifies it. So that, these are the kind of risks uh, from the perspective of the of the infrastructure provider, obviously the cloud provider. But um, uh, what about the, is how involved are these providers in the risks faced by the business, by the client? I'm thinking specifically here about business clients because. I, I can think of, of of several. You know, we would be completely amiss if we didn't mention cybersecurity. But that's 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 one which is quite loudly spoken about. But it's not the only one. There's also uh, kind of the 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 the, the risk of uh, relying too much on uh, on a single provider. Uh, the concentration risk, I would call it. Uh, there is there is uh, kind of the technology obsolescence risk, which obviously we we know it's it's pretty low now that we've we've got five G and it's here to stay for some time, but it is there. So all all these business business clients they have to think about putting their all their kind of eggs in one basket and building up what is usually quite expensive investment in their use of the infrastructure. Uh, so. Are these the, the, the you know you've you've worked with Verizon and, and Samsung? Are these companies actually involved in trying to to s mitigate these risks, or are they re uh, left solely to the to the client to kind of work around? Yeah. So I mean, the reality is, I mean, a lot of this also orients to the application itself as well. So um, when you if you look at it from the IoT perspective, it's it's not uncommon for an IoT solution to have more than one module. It really depends on the type of IoT solution, but it's not uncommon to have two carriers or two network providers embedded within your solution. So you, you've got a primary and a secondary. Um, it's particularly evident in solutions that move, that are not stationary, uh, because you know the, the quality of service can change with the, within different geographies. Um, when you know you look at maybe uh, a more basic solution. You think about your, your smartphones, your tablets, your embedded devices, your jetpacks, that sort of thing, your fixed wireless routers, um, things along those lines. Um, oftentimes, clients, um, in a, in a, and I won't mention any clients by name, but some of the, the biggest players um, in, in, that sit in the globe oftentimes will divide up their risk, right? So they may give, um, you know, split uh, in half. They, there have been times when they there are some that have split three ways um, so that they've essentially mitigated their experience across maybe three providers, two providers, um, whether they do that equally, whether they do that as a first and a secondary, meaning there's going to be a primary that has the bulk and then a secondary and how they go about doing that, whether they do it mathematically and just, you know, you get what you get. and 
and we've mitigated a risk or they give choice to to their user community and and they let mm -hmm. the user community decide and with certain types of products like a smartphone that's very common uh, for that to take place through a uh, primary and a secondary provider um, but we'll oftentimes maybe push people in a certain direction um, based on the uh, the offer that they've got from that network provider and one may be more attractive than the other um, they may find that wherever they exist as an organization the performance with a given uh, network provider might be better than another. And, and, and that's kind of where the sales element comes in, right? It's selling what makes you the best and, and better than your competitor to be able to uh, woo uh, that, that client more to you versus another. And so I would say, um, you know, they, the client mitigates the risk. They decide what's relevant to them. Um, and the network provider does what they need to do in order to try to win the majority of what might be out there, uh, both on current base as well as future opportunities. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think about a variety of different scenarios I've been across my career where I've seen it every which way. And I've even seen clients uh, in particular industries, and this has been most prevalent in financing, where they've mitigated, mitigated down to the contract. Meaning they won't take liability, they'll leave liability in the, in the user, in the employee, mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, they, they're not contractually bound, um, but they will wield their negotiation power to get the best possible deal that they can. And would you expect anything less from the finance? Let's be real. <laughs> you know, get the best of all worlds, right? Uh, of course they should. They're, you know, they're expert negotiators in the finance. So, um, you know, and so there's different things that exist in the environment that cause, um, you know, variety of different scenarios, how they mitigate that risk. So it, it, it looks like we have uh, kind of all, all the people who are thinking about the solutions of tomorrow and are thinking about metaverses and getting everyone connected and in doing you know all devising all those apps that take over our lives yeah. they have to rely ultimately on someone providing that uh, that transceiver that fiber that copper cable or carrier pigeon yeah. that will send that data from a to b and very often these days, it's, it's absolutely forgotten. And uh, as we see, there's quite a lot of challenge going into all this and uh, quite a lot of progression, quite a lot of forces planning, which I think, uh, you know, I hope that uh, especially to the business users who rely on, uh, on, on all this infrastructure and, uh, you know, they have, they have their clients to think about, they have their business to think about, and, and they have the risk to think about, that will bring it kind of closer to them, to the, the reality of what it actually means to send that package of information uh, from your server to your mobile phone. Uh, I think it was absolutely enlightening. If people want to find out more about, about, about these concepts, uh, where, where can they contact you somehow? Or where would you yeah. recommend them to go uh, to, to, to uh, basically learn more? Yeah, I, I'm on LinkedIn. So Mike Gavin, uh, you can find me. Uh, and I'd uh, be happy to, to talk to anyone that's interested in, in discussing anything further. Thank you very much. Great. Uh, I think I think it was uh, it was very interesting, at least it was for me. And uh, 
as usual, let's hope it was of use to someone. Thank you for listening. Also, don't miss the next one, where we'll be talking about energy from photovoltaics with our guest, Jeff Ellis, Director of Operations at Sunovan New Homes, who will describe to us the technology, the operations behind installing it, the economics of it, and the current and future trends. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit bdr.show to find out more about future episodes and guests. You can also check out cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Shared Solutions, our services, and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak, and my co-host, Artur Guja. Thank you.